The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week for episode 137. Quick public service announcement. Before we get started, people have to say this. Go see the movie Hearts Beat Loud. So, so good. You might not have heard much about it because there's not a lot of commercials for it, and it's kind of an independent film, and I rarely make film recommendations around here, but... If you are a musician, if you love music, if you work in music, if you have anything in your life that has anything to do with music, you're going to love this movie, Hearts Beat Loud. Go see it. Go find a theater somewhere near you that's playing it. It might be hard because it's not playing everywhere, but I'm telling you guys, if you're any kind of music person, you're going to love this movie. So, so good. Nick Offerman is amazing in it, and Kiersey Clemens, folks, Kiersey Clemens is a legit star. She's going to be a star. Just, she lights up the screen in every scene that she's in, just impeccably acted, her you know her performance, her portrayal, and an amazing singer. I mean, just great, great singer. She has a great future. You're going to love this movie. Go see Hearts Beat Loud. I mean, I saw it this past week. Uh, I've just, I've been humming the music from that movie to myself everywhere I've gone, which is weird because nobody else I know has seen this movie. So it's like, what the hell are you humming? And so that's always kind of an awkward experience for me, but you're going to love it. Please go see this movie. Um, don't wait till it gets out on on demand, you know, support our indie movies while they're in the theaters, folks. Uh, check it out. Our guest this week, Jonathan Stone, he is the president and co-founder of Rocket Songs. He'll be joining us in the next segment. He's going to get give us some tips on music licensing, particularly sync licensing, and I love getting sync licensing adv advice from the experts for you guys because I don't need to tell you that sync licensing is so important to what you guys do as indie artists, and it's becoming more and more prominent for you guys as the industry evolves, so I'm excited to get some tips from him on that. We're also going to talk to him about his Rocket Songs platform, which can help indie artists like you license music for your next album. All pretty cool stuff. Woo, crazy week for me. Crazy week for the business. So much stuff going on in my world, in the music world. First for me, I have just gotten back from back-to-back -back trips from Austin and Minneapolis. I am just drained from all the flying from all the conferencing, all the music work, all the legal work, all the education work I've been doing, just, ooh, I'm just, ooh, completely fried. It's good to be home, though. I miss being in this studio. I miss my wife. I miss my dog. I actually have my dog here lying underneath my feet. If she makes noise throughout the show, you know what to do. Just ignore it because we want her to stay in the studio because dogs are awesome. But yeah, it's so good to be back, and the industry's been crazy as well. A uh, lot of stuff going on. The Music Modernization Act just passed through the Senate Judiciary Committee on Thursday. It passed unanimously after previously getting through the House of Representatives. It still has to pass the full Senate, but since it got a unanimous recommendation from the Judiciary Committee, which never happens on anything, the chances of Senate passage look pretty good. Now, the House and the Senate versions do differ a bit. The two bills are a little different, which means they have to hammer out the differences between the two bills because both the language of both bills has to be exactly the same before it can go to the president. We all know this. We all listen to Schoolhouse Rock. 
Um, but things are looking optimistic for this bill passing eventually, which is overall a good thing for indie artists, in my opinion. It's not a perfect bill by any means. We've talked about some of the flaws with this bill in past episodes, but on the whole, the Music Modernization Act is going to get indie artists like you paid more when your music is streamed on Spotify. So that's overall a good thing. So just uh, dropping in that quick news. But you know what? That's enough boring Congress news. I don't want to talk about Congress anymore because I'm in a musical mood right now. I want to feel musical. Hearts Beat Loud got me in the mood to just dig some music. So you know what? You know what? I want to play some tunes, man. How about that? You know what? I'm going to grab the ukulele off my wall. Let me just grab this thing. I want to play some music for you guys right now. I don't do this very often because I'm a pretty terrible musician, but let's just jam. How about that? How about let's just jam for a bit until Jonathan Stone comes by to talk to us about music licensing. I got my uke here, and how about this? Let's play a game. We're going to play a musical game right now for you listeners, and the game is called Guess the Song from the Chord Progression. Simple game. I'm going to play some chords on my ukulele right there, and you just shout out the song when you hear it from the chord progression. Make sense? All right, here we go. One more time. All right, do we... I'm going to put the ukulele back here. Do we have any guesses? Any guesses at all? All right, I'll give you a chance to think about it. All right. If your answer is Let's Get It On by Marvin Gaye, then you're correct. Hey, congratulations. Now, if you guessed Thinking Out Loud by Ed Sheeran, then you're also correct. (laughs) Congratulations. Both songs employ a similar chord progression, And that is among the factors that is fueling a lawsuit against Ed Sheeran by one of the copyright holders, uh, sort of, (laughs) I should say sort of, because you'll find out a reason why why it's not really a copyright holder, it's complicated. But anyway, one of the copyright holders in Let's Get It On, um, the lawsuit has been reported by Variety on Thursday, so... Uh, the the people who own the rights to Let's Get It On are suing Ed Sheeran because they're saying the two songs sound similar, and as we just learned from our game, the chord progressions are similar. Here's the thing. On past episodes of this podcast, we've talked about infringement lawsuits against artists. It's kind of a crusade of mine on this podcast. We've talked about the Blurred Lines case. We've talked about Sam Smith and Tom Petty. We've talked about Led Zeppelin and Spirit And what I say over and over about these cases as they come out is that the emergence of these lawsuits is increasingly problematic for indie artists like you. And I'm worried about these lawsuits. I think these lawsuits are going to have a chilling effect on creators. And look, I'm a copyright lawyer. And I think it is very important for copyrights, your copyrights, anybody's copyrights to be protected. Period. Not but, period. We need to protect copyrights. Absolutely. However, we need to balance that with a system that also acknowledges that all creative work, and particularly music, inherently builds off the work that comes before it. That notion, that that idea that 
everything comes from the things that have come before. If I have been able to see further, it's because I stood on the shoulders of giants. That is a core principle of copyright law. And copyright law is all about striking that balance between protecting creators and their works, but also acknowledging that stuff from the future builds on stuff from the past. Musicians are going to be inspired and influenced by the styles and grooves and progressions of the works that have come before. That's how music evolves. That's how all of today's genres exist. They all came from genres that existed previously. And when an artist like you creates music, it is always possible that some groove or some core progression is going to be in your subconscious when you're creating this new song. And so that's how you get cases like Sam Smith's Stay With Me having a similar part of a melody to Tom Petty's Won't Back Down, or we have Thinking Out Loud by Ed Sheeran having the same chord progression in one part as Let's Get It On. But should that rise to the level of actionable copyright infringement? Should that be considered a violation of copyright law? And for artists like you, I would say I sure as hell hope not. You as artists should not be facing millions in penalties because a groove that might have been in your subconscious while you were writing your own song, you know, found its way into what you're creating. Courts really need to get this figured out and find a difference between striking similarity, which is a legal term of art that necessitates a finding of copyright infringement, from songs that merely have similar music elements. If we don't figure this out, if courts don't figure this out, if the legal system doesn't figure this out, it's going to become more and more of a problem for artists like you. And this current lawsuit between Ed Sheeran and uh, these copyright rights holders for Let's Get It On shows how this problem is only going to get worse in the future. It is a, a harbinger of things to come because this lawsuit did not come from any of the Let's Get It On songwriters. None of the songwriters are part of this suit yet. Instead, this lawsuit came from a company called Structured Asset Sales. Now, what the hell is structured asset sales? Uh, you might be wondering. Well, structured asset sales isn't a songwriter. It's a, it's a company that bought the rights to future royalties of Let's Get It On and is now taking those rights, breaking them up into little pieces, and selling those rights to shareholders. This, is, this practice is becoming more and more known as securitization of music. And this kind of securitization is becoming all the more common in the music industry. And as more artist catalogs are getting bought up by investment companies in this way, as this becomes more and more common, these lawsuits are going to become more and more common because these catalogs are going to want to maximize their return on their investment. And so we're going to see a lot of copyright trolling and artists like you, today's artists who are making music now as opposed to in the past, are going to suffer. So we need changes here. Bottom line do parts of Let's Get It On and Thinking Out Loud sound similar? Yes, I concede that. My ukulele just conceded that. But they're not nearly similar enough to allow for lawsuits that are going to have a chilling effect on your creativity and the creativity of artists throughout the music industry. So as an artist, I hope you can fight for those kind of reforms that are going to protect your right to create and not stunt your creativity when you make great works. All right, uh, Jonathan Stone coming up next. Keep listening to the Break the Business podcast.
He is the president and co-founder of Rocket Songs, a music licensing platform that offers a massive library of original compositions and sound recordings for artists to use in their music. Over his distinguished career in music publishing, he's worked with MCA, Quincy Jones Productions, ATV Music, and many other organizations. You can check out more about his current work by visiting www.rocketsongs.com. Ladies and gentlemen, happy to have Jonathan Stone on the Break the Business podcast. Jonathan, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Uh, absolutely, Ryan. It's uh, nice to be here. Nice to be here. Yeah. Um. First question. I want to take advantage of the fact that you've been in the game for so long, and you've you must have seen so many changes in music publishing. What would you say are some of the most profound changes you've seen in the licensing sphere between how things work today versus how things work when you first started? I would say that there's there there are there are many many things, but I would say. The, the the biggest one of the biggest impacts I've seen that directly has affected the bottom line of music publishers and uh, the ability for writers to get activity and to to realize realize income from their copyrights has been the um, the advent of the sync license. And I'm sure that's something you've probably talked about on this podcast before in the past. But synchronization licensing that is when a writer or when a song gets placed in a, a visual media, film, television, advertising. And that business virtually really didn't exist when I, well, I shouldn't say it didn't exist, but it was, it was really a small part. Print, print, uh, print income, if you can believe it. And song folios accounted for more money probably than sync income wow. back, in the, back in the early 80s. Wow. So it was a matter of just, you know, when they needed a song for a movie, they, you know, they just kind of go to their in-house library that somebody wrote and just pop something in with a few exceptions. But this business, that part of the business just really exploded, it started to explode in the 90s and then just went crazy in the in the new millennium in the, in the 2000s. And in the past five or six years, it's become gigantic. And the reason, long story short, the biggest change is because now we've got a thousand channels. Yeah. And, and all this started And, and the internet. How many, I don't know how old you are, but and the internet, we had a thousand channels, but, but, but back in the day, we had about three or four channels and uh, about a hundred movies maybe that were released per year by, by Hollywood. And those were the vehicles by which uh, music was used as a synchronization piece. And that was it. Now- cut to today and look at all these outlets. We've got the internet and all of that music has to be paid for. All of it has to be licensed. And it absolutely has uh, quadrupled everybody's earnings. And as people have, publishers have figured out how to license these songs and all these new medias like YouTube and Spotify and so forth, it's all been just fantastic. But, and, and so that, those are recent changes, but that was a really big uh, a, a really a major impact on the business when when the the contemporary sync license and just to take it one tiny step further is um, somewhere around that time I would say in the early '90s all of these producers figured out that they could actually they didn't have to use somebody's record for the for their film or TV project. In other words, they didn't have to go get a Prince track. They didn't have to get a Sheena Easton track or an Eagles track. They could go and find somebody's demo or somebody that just sounded like a master and they could license that for a lot less money. That never happened. 
So that never happened before the eighties. Nobody ever put demo recordings into a film or TV project. It just didn't exist. And partially because of the union, the musicians union, but I'm getting rather deep into this now. Well, I think <laughs> but, this but is, you asked the question. Well, no, I think this is utterly fascinating. I I've, tend to be of the belief that the emergence of the sync license has really democratized or at least empowered the little guy musician more than probably any other phenomenon, at least in the world of music publishing. Um, as you were sort of intimating toward the end there, you know, the sync license has, you know, really broke a lot of artists um, and made them famous in an era that they wouldn't have otherwise been famous. You know, I think about all these artists who, you know, you wouldn't have heard of except, you know, they got a few songs placed on a, on a TV show and now they're big stars because they had those opportunities and that would have never happened uh, without the sync license becoming what it is now. You are 100% correct. And it, it really, it was, I lived through all of it and I saw all of it and I was running a publishing company at the time when we had to make the decision whether or not to go up against the musicians union and try and fight for the right for our demos to be synced into, you know, projects at studios where they were signatories to the unions and really weren't allowed to put music into their projects. If the musicians on the session weren't, you know, uh, members of the union. And uh, eventually that all kind of went away. Those rules are still there, but they pretty much eliminated them so that now the floodgates have opened and and the union realizes that, you know, you can't you can't regulate some guy in his home studio making a record and it getting synced in a, in a movie or a television show. You just can't do it. it it's done as a non-union and they stopped penalizing the studios uh, and the networks for hiring those kinds of people. So that's, that, that was really, there's a lot of factors here that sort of lined up to, to do just exactly what you said. It has had just a, 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 a gigantic impact. It's empowered indie artists and songwriters and producers to be able to go out and get their own activity to create their own brand without having to depend on a music publisher or a record company or a manager to have to do it all. And the sync license is kind of the engine that's making that work right now. And all you have to do is search in the internet for how can I get songs used in film and TV? And you'll come up with about 10 or 15 or 20 companies that you can send your music to and they'll try and get it done for you. Well, let's so, elaborate on that for a little bit because I, I imagine all the artists that are listening to what you're saying right now are like, okay, the floodgates are open. How do I ride this wave? If I'm an artist and I have a catalog and I'm kind of new to all this, but I know I want to get involved with music licensing, what are some of my first steps to potentially getting my music synced uh, someday? Well, it depends First off, it depends where you live. If you live in one of the major music centers, New York, Nashville, London, LA, there's lots you can do. You can, there's networking. There's, uh, there are events all the time that uh, uh, music supervisors hold uh, sort of casting sessions and pitch sessions, but you got to be here to be able to do those things. And they're pretty open about that because a lot of these folks are just begging for great indie music that they can license in what they call one-stop shop. That is where they can guarantee to the producer of the project that the song is 100% controlled, master and publishing by whoever is providing them with that with that uh, with that song. So, 
there's lots of things you can do. You just integrate yourselves into the community if you're living here, if you're, if you're living in one of these major music centers. If you're not, then it's kind of like what I said. There are um, uh, lots of companies on the internet uh, who offer a service. They take a piece of the fee. Some of them take a piece of the publishing. There's Pump Audio, there's, there's Song Trader, there's Broad Jam, there's Taxi, uh, just to name a few. There's Music X-Ray. And there's these various companies that uh, would love to have your catalog. I don't think they charge hosting fees. Some of them do, some of them don't. And they take a piece of your uh, upfront licensing fee. Some take a piece of the publishing, some don't. Uh, and you just have to sort of figure that out. And, you know, initially those companies were all, I have to be a little careful here, uh, were sort of viewed at a little, uh, little sideways. You know, so, oh, geez, you know, what are you, what's going on here? This is, this is kind of weird. But as it's turned out, these companies are getting uses. And initially, the, uh, uh, I hate to say it like this, but sort of the traditional music business community or the, the professional business community really looked at those companies as, as, as that, you know, like, gee, are, are they really going to get anybody a use? Because those companies do also offer a whole range of other products for you to come on board and to purchase. Uh, but a lot of them, uh, once your catalog is accepted, uh, don't charge you anything uh, other than a piece of the upfront sync licensing fee. So you do a little bit of your homework, just like we all have to do on the internet these days, and uh, Google around and and find the companies that you know look like they're uh, kind of legit. The one other thing I will say, most and most of those ones I've mentioned are all legit, uh, is you can get an A&R, you can get a directory. If you're an independent artist, you're trying to get sync fees, there is a company out there called A&R Registry that you can Google. Uh, and uh, they have a music supervisor directory, which will cost you a couple hundred dollars, but it's, it's just the Bible. Uh, and it'll give you uh, information about uh, three or 400 music supervisors that are in Hollywood. And there's other directories that you can find and just start submitting your music to. And surprisingly, they're much more open to, to receiving your music than the local publisher or the local record company. It's very difficult to get in with those folks these days. But a lot of these indie uh, organizations that are plugging your songs are actively looking for material. And a lot of them are on YouTube and Spotify and iTunes and TuneCore looking for great indie songs that they can represent on your behalf. No question. We've had some artists on this podcast who've had a pretty impressive amount of success with these song plugging type organizations. Yes. Um, one of the real challenges that some artists have talked to me about with respect to these organizations is you know, sometimes you just give them, you know, you give them your material and it just ends up in a book with thousands of other songs. And, you know, it's hard to kind of make yours stand out. And I remember I spoke with one artist on the podcast who said that one of the things that she did to kind of keep her music in the front of the song pluggers mind when an opportunity came along is she sort of took extra steps. Like she actually went to the office of that company and had coffee with them and really talked to them about what they were looking for and tried to build a relationship with that organization so that when a new opportunity came in the door, they would think of her music first. Have you heard of anything like that before? Oh, Absolutely, Ryan. I mean, anything like that that you can do to personalize the relationship uh, makes all the difference in the world. And there's nothing that can replace, you know, with all of this automation and with all of this analytics and with all the things that we can do 
working for our, from our homes, as they say these days, there's nothing to replace that personal contact to go in and sit with somebody and to uh, try and make that connection. Well, speaking of organizations that are doing some cool things in the music publishing sphere right now, I can't believe we've gone this long in the interview without talking about your company, Rocket Songs. I'm really intrigued by what you guys are doing. You, you're really you're simplifying the you know music licensing pro- process for artists to be able to you know get music on their album uh, without having to jump through a lot of hoops, without having to pay a lot of money, um, particularly up front. And I mean, Digital Music News profiled you guys, and I've just been really intrigued by the whole model. For those who don't know, can you tell the listeners a bit about how Rocket Songs works? Absolutely. Well, it's a company that we started about three or four years ago, and it was really to service the independent artist, the independent uh, singer community, independent artist. Uh, who doesn't write their own songs. Now, we all know that lots of the independent artists out there are are writing their own material, and the vast majority of them actually probably do that. But there are many, many artists out there who are great singers, and they're not songwriters. Not everybody is born to be a songwriter, but there are lots of folks who have great voices and want to either audition for The Voice or American Idol or America's Got Talent, and we've all seen those uh, uh, that kind of talent. And, um, we kind of made it our mission to try and curate all of the songs that we've come across from professional songwriters and publishers, put them all in one place, put them in a searchable database where these artists could come and license the songs, uh, and effect cover these original songs for their own recording projects. So they can come and look for a specific kind of hit, a specific genre, uh, specific tempo and um, and then along with the license comes all the rights to release it and to put it out and to post it and to put it up in various uh, in various uh, uh, platforms and uh, basically if you're a singer a label or a manager that's looking for a great song, a hit song what we feel are, are strong songs you never know if something's going to be a hit ever but um, these are all pro written songs and we have a variety of licenses to that end that offer uh, everything from a basic standard license to people coming and licensing the digital master files. So there's really two things here there's, uh, uh, that we're doing. One is finding great material and make it available to those independent singers out there. And the other is we're always looking for great songs. So uh, to represent and to pitch to all these other artists that are looking for for material. So um, we're always uh, uh, open to hearing to hearing uh, uh, songs that people want to submit to us. Yeah, you're, so really, you're really serving, have. they're really two different and in a lot of ways distinct types of creatives that can avail themselves of this platform. Uh, recording artists who need uh, great songs for their recordings and also songwriters who are looking for potential licensing opportunities for their songs. To try and get cuts. That's yeah. it. Try and get cuts, try and get covers. And, you know, our, we contend that if you're, a, if you're a great singer and you live somewhere, God knows where, and how are you going to find a great original song? You know, the chances are you're not going to find it um, in your own hometown. So you can come to our website, uh, find a great original song, or you go to YouTube and you cover everybody else's songs. And, and that's fine. And you can get a lot of attention doing that. But there's only so far you can go. Uh, covering Beatles songs or, you know, Ariana Grande <laughs> or 
Bruno Mars or whoever it is, at some point you need to find going to need to find a great original song to record. And that's where we come in. Oh, right on. And folks, you can check this out at www.rocketsongs.com. They really do have a very big library. And one of the other cool things about the platform is that you can get different types of licenses for the music that really kind of fit well for whatever particular kind of use you want as an artist. You can get an exclusive license or a non-exclusive license. You can get certain types of use uh, put in or carved out depending on what your particular needs are. Absolutely. You can put a song on exclusive um, for a certain period of time. Um, You can get the instrumental mix of a song. Pretty soon we're going to be offering um, an array of other products, a a WAV file, worldwide exclusives, you know, where you can um, um, extend the reach of uh, where your song is being being put on exclusive. Um, And then, of course, as I mentioned before, the actual licensing, the digital master files or stems to the session of the song that you like. And that's become a really our biggest product because people hear something they like, they realize that, gee, if I want to go record this from scratch, I can do that, but I'm going to have to, it's going to take time. I'm going to have to hire musicians or I'm going to have to sit and program it and I'm going to have to find a studio or I do it in my own house or whatever it is. If you like what you hear, we've put together a, a mechanism by which you can license those exact master tracks and off you go yeah and again you can check that out at rocketsongs.com i have loved uh talking music publishing with you um great insight about sync licensing this is terrific Uh, before we let you go and we do want to have you on again real soon because this has been fantastic do you have any last tips to share with the indie artist listeners to help them move their careers forward yeah i think you know that is that's a whole other uh, that's a whole other podcast. But I think I, the tip is this, and this is something that I I have handed out down through the years, and it's not anything particularly earth shaking or new. But the more that I live it, and I've lived it for a while, the more I see it, it working. And that really is tenacity. And that really is it's one thing to write some great songs or to make a great record. I like to tell people, hey man, that's the fun part. That's the part that everybody loves. Let's go into the studio. Let's find some songs. Let's write some songs. Let's go make a great recording. That is a ball. That's sort of like the, the kind of a hobby part of this thing that there's not anybody that doesn't love that process. Now comes the hard part. And it doesn't matter how good those songs are. Nothing's going to happen unless you're out there on your social media. These days, you can't get a record deal unless you've got a very a nice high profile on your social media. Uh, or you're going to have to take control of your own career and go out and you know, get yourself booked. There's so many things you can do now because of the way the music business is. You can set up your own record company, but you have to do it. You can't, um, you can't just turn it. I still run into folks that just say, hey, man, I've got these great songs. Can you do something for me? Well, yeah, I can. But the person that's in most control, that's in most control of this project is you. And how often are you, how hard are you going to work at this? Are you going to go out and try and get yourself booked? Are you going to keep writing? Write two songs a week. You have to keep bringing in new material. You've got to keep putting fuel in the engine. And it's really up to you. It's very rare these days that a company or an individual is going to snap their fingers and make you famous. They can help. I can help a lot. But if you're just going to sit around and write songs and send them to me, that probably isn't going to work. 
Wow, that's beautiful. You summarized my whole book in about 90 seconds. I appreciate that. Oh, is that, that. right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jonathan Stone, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Sure, buddy. Anytime. All right. Our thanks to Jonathan Stone for joining us this week. Be sure to find out more about Rocket Songs by visiting www.rocketsongs.com. I love a good sync licensing conversation. That was fantastic. I want to have him on again real soon. So much great advice there. If you haven't done it already, folks, be sure to check out the Break the Business Twitter. Throw us a follow at the BTB Podcast. If you're already following me on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, thanks. If not, do that. But yeah, follow them both. At Ryan K-A-I-R is me on Twitter. The podcast is at the BTB Podcast. We just started up that account a few weeks ago. We're trying to boost it a little bit because that's where you're going to be able to find all your podcast-related tweets going forward. And if you haven't done it already, check out the Break the Business book. If you're looking for a good book to help you move your career forward in the music industry, I wrote it and I also narrated the audiobook. You can find it all at Amazon or just visit www.breakthebusiness.com. Thank you all for listening to the podcast. We will see you next week.